0: Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. Uh, so, this week... You ever, you ever had people like start a sentence like that? Like, you were in the middle of a conversation. They just come up so... Okay, well, so, in the middle of this week, um, actually, a little while ago, recently, uh, the check engine light in my car came on. And um, the first time that ever happened to me, the first time you know, I had a, a check engine light come on, I just like panicked. I thought, oh, no, the, the car's going to explode. I pulled off to the side of the road, stopped the engine as quick as I could. And then I began to understand that that light comes on all the time for no reason whatsoever. And, uh, and so this one came on, and I thought, you know, I really ought to get it checked out. And so um, back in January... It's been three months now. Back in January, I took it in the mechanic and uh, you know, he put it on the computer. And he said, well, he said, I don't really see anything. He said, sometimes it's just the cold weather makes this light come on. So let me reset the onboard computer and uh, you know drive around. And if it comes back on, well, then we should take a look at it because then there's something wrong. So I said, fine. So he reset the onboard computer. I drove off in about a week, no problem. And about a week later, light comes on again. Only now it's just like, I don't have the time. You know, it's just—it's really inconvenient. I got to take my car down. I got to get a ride back to the office. All that other stuff, and, and but I'm just too busy. So, for like I said, for three months now, this on this light's been on, and um, and, and I was kind of thinking about that because recently, what I've noticed is now not just as the light come on, but now I'm getting really crummy gas mileage, and and the price of gas has gone up over four dollars. So now I'm really, thinking, you know, I really ought to get this fixed. And, and, and the thing is that, um, that even though I think that, I still haven't done it. And I was thinking about that this week because I could be doing some real serious damage to my car. I mean, I could be really hurting my car engine and end up paying a whole lot more for bigger repair. And, and as I was thinking about that and thinking about and prepping for the Sunday's message, I was kind of thinking, you know, how often do we do that? That God tries to get our attention in some way, shape, or form. And we say, yeah, yeah, I ought to pay attention to that. And then we just kind of go on because it's a little inconvenient or we just, you know, we got other stuff to do or whatever, not realizing that maybe we're doing damage on a deeper level. That God kind of gives us these warning lights on the dashboard, but we just don't have the time to pay attention to it. So we just go on with life, never realizing that probably we're doing deep damage To our souls, because on the spiritual level, when you ignore that stuff, that's what happens. We're in this series. We started last week. uh, We called "Losing My Religion," and we're taking a look at all the stuff that gets added on to and in place of the gospel. And in fact, we looked at it last week. How religion can actually be toxic because it pushes us towards conformity, performance, um, all of this strict obedience where actually the grace of God is completely the opposite of that. The grace of God is about acceptance and authenticity and freedom. And so as Paul writes this letter to a church, actually a series of churches in the region of Galatia, he's saying this is important stuff. Pay attention because if you continue down this road... It's dangerous. And in fact, he actually, we're going to pick up where we left off um, last week. In chapter 3, he starts writing to them and he, he asks them actually a series of, of very pointed questions. If you want to um, turn there with me. Galatians 3, beginning verse 1. He says, You foolish Galatians, who is bewitching you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish after beginning with the Spirit? Are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? Have you experienced so much for nothing? If it really was for nothing. Does God give you His Spirit and work miracles among you because you observed the law? Or because you believed what you heard? Consider Abraham. He believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. So understand then that those who believe are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announced the gospel in advance to Abraham, saying, all nations will be blessed through you. So those who have faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. All who rely on observing the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly, no one is justified before God by the law because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, the man who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. He redeemed us in order that the blessings given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. See, Paul knew What I think each of us really know by our own experience, that this religion trap keeps pulling us back in, that there's the gravitational pull of of religion keeps sucking us back in. Even when we know better, we kind of fall back into this religion trap. And that's what was happening in this church. And so Paul's writing them, and he actually, he's saying, they're they're warning signs. These are like the the dashboard of your car. These things you've got to pay attention to. And in the questions that he's asking, he's saying, these are the warning signs of living by religion. This is how you can tell when you're going back into that religion mode instead of living by the grace of God. So we're going to look at those this morning. What are the warning signs? One of them is, when I start living or start falling into a religion trap... I begin to lose my frame of reference. Paul put it this way. He says this question. Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard? Now, that falls under the category of a rhetorical question. He's not looking for an answer. Okay? He's making a point. Rhetorical questions, that's kind of like when, when you were a kid growing up and your mom would say something like, do you want me to give you a spanking? Okay? That's a rhetorical question. She's not expecting an answer. in fact, you might get an extra one if you said something like, well, I was thinking about going out and playing, but, you know, spanking sounds pretty good right now, you know. It's, that's not it's just making a point. And that's what Paul's doing. These, these are rhetorical questions, and he's saying, did you receive the Spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard? In other words, the point is, your life with God came as a gift of grace. It didn't come because you earned it. You didn't enter into this life with God because somehow you deserved it. This came as a gift. And if you lose that frame of reference, that will affect everything else about your life with God. See, if you lose that frame of reference, it affects everything. Uh, A couple weeks ago, my wife and I had the opportunity, uh, really kind of cool, to go to Italy. And we visited, uh, one of the cities we went to was Venice. And I, if you've ever been to Venice, it's like, it's a maze. You, you can't find your way because streets don't go in squares. They go all over the place. And, and so you, it's easy to get lost. You just kind of wander through. In fact, you just figure, okay, well, I'm lost now. Let's just look at what I can find. And, but there's a point of reference I know. No matter how, And I've got a pretty good sense of direction. But the one thing I knew is if I find water and I follow water, eventually I can find out where I am. There's a frame of reference here. If I just follow this, I know I can get to where I want to go. Paul says when you lose your frame of reference, it confuses everything. You're just lost. You get this. You lose your sense of proportion. You start, you start majoring in the minors. You start paying way too much attention to things that are of very little importance. And that's what happened in the religion of the Pharisees. That's why Jesus had so many conflicts with them because they got so hung up on the minutia of things. They lost sight of its purpose. And so they would have, there was, there was a law about, you know, the Sabbath day, keeping the Sabbath day holy. That on the six days you'll work, on the seventh day you will rest. It is a Sabbath of rest to the Lord. But of course the question always comes up then, well, what's work? And so the Pharisees had hundreds and hundreds of directives as to what constituted work and what was not. You can do this, but not do that. Well, or you could do that, but only if you do it in this way. And and, it was just, and that's what happens in religion. You get sucked into this whole, well, what's right, what's wrong, and, and how is what's the right way, and what's the wrong way. And you start majoring on minors. And I think that happens a lot in churches. Things that are unimportant get way too much attention. Paul brings them back to this foundational truth. It's not what you did. It's what Christ did for you. He says, before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. In other words, this is the one thing that's your, your, your true north. It's the cross. On the cross, God was showing His love for us. He was, he was extending His grace to us. He was paying the full payment of your sin and mine he says, that's the thing that's central. That's where you keep coming back to. That's your reference point. And if you lose that, if you forget that this came as a gift, then you start performing for it. And you expect everybody else to perform for it. So keep it in mind. It's the cross. Anything else is just a dead end. All who rely on observing the law are under a curse. For it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. What he's saying is, if you want to go down that road, okay, if you want to go down the road of rule keeping, just understand you can never make a mistake. Because he says, you must continue to do everything that's written in the law. One slip up One minor mistake, and you're dead. You're done for. Because the law can't do that. The law can't bring righteousness. The law is meant to be the arrows pointing in the right direction. What this life with God looks like. But we spend too much time looking at the sign. When you start falling into the religion trap, what happens is you lose your point of reference. Another thing that happens is... That when I, when I start falling into a religion trap, I start trying to do what only God can do. My experience as a pastor is, and it's very, very typical as I watch it happen in many people's lives. Someone becomes aware of the gap between who they are and, and God. Or even who they are and who God created them to be. And that awareness of the gap is a thing that sets them on this search and when they discover the grace of God and the, this promise that, that Christ paid the price for us, that He closed the gap, He bridged the gap, and now you can live in this life with Him. People, people grab onto that. And, and for the first year or so, you know, they're just, it's just like a honeymoon period. They can't get enough of God. They can't get enough of reading Scripture. And, and it seems like every prayer gets answered. And, and they're just moving and growing. And all of a sudden, they get to a point and growth kind of stalls out. And they're not really sure why. And, and I, well, maybe I just have to try harder. And so that's what they do. They start trying harder. Which inevitably, you can't make it that way. And so that leads to failure. And failure leads to guilt. And then you just kind of give up. And you say, well, that's like the dashboard on my car, that little light. I just learned to live with it. You know, yeah, it's flashing. It's telling me there's something different. But... You know, that it's never going to change. That's a dead-end street. It's a dead-end street. And I know that I'm falling into that trap when I start trying to do what only God can do. Craig Rochelle calls it, in fact, he wrote a book, a book about it called The Christian Atheist. It's believing in God, but living like He doesn't really exist. And I wonder how many Christian atheists There are. They don't believe in God. But when it comes to life, yeah, I just learned to live with it. Paul wrote this question Are you so foolish? After beginning with the Spirit, are you trying now to finish by human effort? If he were alive today, Paul would say, What drug are you on? (laughs) Are you crazy? Can you be that stupid? Can you possibly think that you can do what only God can do? Do you think God started this whole thing and you can finish God's job? I mean, what are you on? That's crazy. That doesn't make any sense at all. But that's what we do. And he says, you know you're falling into a religion trap when you start doing those things, thinking that's going to accomplish it. And it's only something that God can do. See, you cannot earn it. You cannot produce it. You cannot sustain this life with God. I said it last week. It is supernatural. It is beyond you. It's beyond me. It's beyond any of us. It is a work of God. And the best thing that I can do is learn to recognize the Spirit of God working in my life and respond to that instead of trying to make myself better. Paul wrote, he redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus. So that, and here's the point of the whole thing. So that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. He does the work, we receive it. He redeems, we receive. That's how it works. It was never the intent of the law to get us to God. The law was, was that signpost, the arrow pointing in the right direction. But it's kind of like, it's kinda like um, my cat. We have a cat. He's getting kind of old now, but he used to be quite a hunter. And, and he would, if you know anything about cats, when they capture something, like they catch a mouse or a snake or something, they got to show it to you. That, that's what cats do. And so our cat would come in from the outside, up from the backyard, and like have a snake in his mouth. And, and it's like only partially dead because they don't show you the dead thing. They want to play with it for a while first. So it's, there's this half dead snake and he brings it into the kitchen and drops it at my wife's feet. Yeah, you know how that went over. She's going, ah, the snake, get the snake. Kitty, get the snake. Pick the snake, take the snake out of here. And, and the whole time the cat is looking at her, you know, and she's pointing at the snake. She's saying, get the snake, get the snake, get the snake. And he wants to sniff her fingers, you know, because he thinks it's all about, no, The snake. So sometimes we don't understand. Scripture was meant to point us to God. He's saying, this is it. This is what he looks like. This is what life with him looks like. And we get bogged down looking at the wrong thing. The law was never meant to bring us. It was to show us what it looks like. I'm trying to do it in my own strength. What only God can do. No wonder we get tired. In fact, I have a theory about religious people. Why they always seem to be so angry, always seem to be so cranky. It's because they're tired. It's it's what I think. I mean, think about it. How cranky are you when you're tired? You know, we're spending all of our life trying to produce and trying to to come up with it, trying to make it happen in our own strength. We're just going to get tired, and that leads to this anger. I really think that's the key of it. It's one of the ruining signs. Another one, when I'm falling back into that religion trap, what I start doing is I start misinterpreting the experiences of my life. See, when I live by the law, when I live by rule keeping, that's very black and white. There's right and wrong. Okay? There's, there's cause and effect. There's crime and punishment. Don't do the crime if you can't do the time. You know, it's a, that, that's a very black and white. And so that means that if something goes wrong in my life or or I go through time of difficulty, um, what is the one question that we always ask when we come come up against difficulty in life? What did I do to deserve this? Because you see, that's the picture of God that religion paints. That God is always out there, always demanding, I could never do enough, and He's always ready to punish me, no matter what I have done. If I don't do it right, if something goes wrong in my life, I must have God must be punished me for something that I did. He says, "Have Have you experienced so much for nothing? Surely it was not in vain, was it? He said, Look at your life experience. That's not how God has worked. Look at what He's brought you through. Do you understand what's been going on in your life? Yes, there is, there is a law of the harvest. There is a reaping and sowing. There is cause and effect. Yes, there is. But that's oversimplifying the human experience. That's not all there is to it. That sometimes God works through difficulties to change and shape and mold us. And His work in our life, as difficult as it might be, is redemptive in nature. And there are some things in life that you just cannot learn by the book. There's some things you only learn by going through the experience. When I was in high school, I had a friend, brilliant guy, smart. You know, we all knew he was going to be a doctor. He was just brilliant guy and quite an athlete as well. I mean, he, he ran cross-country, ran track, did the hurdles. He, he was just very athletic and, and very, very smart. And um, one year when our, our, our high school group was going up to the snow, he decided he was going to learn how to ski. And so he went to the library and he checked out a book. And then he was telling me the night before, yeah, I learned how to ski. I, I read the book. I'm going to go up there. And I, I thought, oh, boy, <laughs> you just wait. Because <laughs> you can't learn to ski by a book. You just got to do it. And there's some things in life that you can't learn by the book. The book gives you the instructions, but you don't know it until you go through it. And that's what Paul is saying when he, when he asks that question, have you experienced so much for nothing? He says, haven't you learned anything from what you've gone through? Don't you understand God works in all kinds of ways, even in difficulties? And don't you also understand that ultimately God's work is not about punishment. God's work is about redemption. And yes, there are examples of punishment in Scripture. But if you look, every one of them had a redemptive quality to them. God doesn't just punish to punish. He works to redeem. We still have the difficulties. And that's why Paul wrote to the Roman church, we groan inwardly as we eagerly await our adoption, the redemption of our bodies. And we know that in all things, God works for the good God. Those who love him. Say, so this we know. Though no matter what we go through, God is working good. The circumstances may not be good, but God is working good. In fact, I encourage you to read all of chapter 8 of Romans. Because what he talks about is this whole process of groaning that we live in this world that's fallen apart. And, and yes, we suffer pain. And yes, we groan because of it. And it's, the pain is real. But one of the points he makes is it's like labor pains. The pain doesn't lead us to death. It's pain that ushers in life. He said, haven't you learned that? Haven't you seen through all your own experience how God works redemptively? When I'm falling into a religion trap, I misinterpret the circumstances of my life. And the last one is that I focus more on my efforts than God's goodness. See, religion always portrays God As a demanding taskmaster. That's the way, that's the way religion always paints God as someone who is always demanding. I can never do enough. And and, and no matter how good I do it, it's never going to be good enough. And that's the that's the picture that religion paints of God. Paul confronts that with this. He says, Does God give you His Spirit and work miracles among you because you observed the law or because you believed what you had heard? Did God give you His Spirit and work miracles among you because you observed the law or because you believed what you heard? By the the way, the word give there, um, that's a very tame translation. Um, the, The word in the Greek is epikorego. Uh, excuse me, epichorigeo, coregeo. And um, it's a compound word, epichorigeo. Uh, and coregeo at its root, can anybody guess there's some English words that, that sound like that? Coregeo. Core- no, it's not cardboard box. It's, it's, it's choreography. <laughs> choreography, dance. The, 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 the root word of this is about a dance. And, and that word had to do with someone who leads in the dance. Someone who, in fact, by extension, someone who provided for the dance. Who threw the party. Someone who paid the price for the dance so that everybody could come and celebrate. That's what that word meant. And then when you add that little prefix, epi, that means above and beyond. Over the top. And he's saying, so, so the message actually gets it much better in its translation. God lavishly provides... Lavishly provides you his own presence, his holy spirit, working things in your lives that you could never do for yourselves. He so says, "What is your picture of God?" God is the one who lavishly provides, who lays out the party, who, who leads in the dance. In fact, the life by the spirit can be compared very, very much to a dance. And if you know anything about dancing, only one person can lead in a dance. I learned this when I took dancing lessons. When my, my daughter was getting married, I'd never danced in my life. My, my wife loves dancing. I, I, I don't know why, but she does. She does it recreationally. She just loves dancing. And so I had to learn how to dance to do the father-daughter dance at my, my daughter's wedding. And, and so we took dancing lessons, my wife and I, and, and my daughter and her husband-to-be. And we were learning this different dances and everything, and we just kept kind of fumbling over each other and stepping on toes and all that. And, and so the dance instructor stopped. The music came over and said, okay, who's leading this dance? Which I felt pretty good about, because I could say, well, I'm supposed to be, but she's not letting me. <laughs> Only one person can lead in the dance. The other responds and follows. And I think that's a beautiful picture of life in the Spirit. The Spirit leads. We follow His promptings. He works. And we open up to what He wants to do. And the best thing that you can do for your life with God is learn to live in response to the Spirit. What does that look like? It's those inner promptings that you get sometimes. It's those senses that... You're supposed to pay attention to this right now. It's that tug at your heart that you try to push off and ignore like the dashboard light of your car. It says you were meant, not for religion, you are meant to live in a relationship with God, responding to His movement, letting Him lead and learning to follow. And when you find yourself trying to do what only God can do, when you find yourself slipping back into that old way of relating to God, just understand you're missing out on the dance because God designed you for something far more freeing, far more real. See, Christ didn't die on the cross so we could become better rule keepers. He died on the cross so that we might have life. Don't miss out on the dance. Would you bow your heads with me? Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Venetia, California.